See you, Dallas. <laughs> All right. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. For those who are usually around OPBC, you know we've been working our way through First and Second Peter. And you said, but Brad, last week you said you weren't going to preach First and Second Peter because it's Easter. And uh, you were going to jump out of that for Easter. And I really struggled this week. I really struggled this week coming up with the sermon. You can ask my wife. I mean, really struggled. Because Christmas and Easter, for people who are in church all the time, you know what I'm going to preach about, right? So no surprises here, right? Christmas, Jesus gets born. Easter, Jesus dies and raises from the dead. And it's all really good news, but where do I go with that? I've been here eight years Eight Easter's. Have I said all I could possibly say at this point about the resurrection? No. Turns out, no. And it turns out that the next passage of Scripture in our study, this is not by my planning, this is how we know God is sovereign and God works. The next passage of Scripture in our study of 1 Peter is 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. Guess what's in there? The resurrection. So I guess where we're going to be today. Okay, it's an amazing thing what God does. And so we're going to study his word and we're going to look at his word. So will you follow along in your copy of God's word? If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the pew back in front of you. Or you should get the app. Actually, we were just having that discussion today. Which app to get? So and uh, you'll have your Bible with you at all times. Okay, there's an ESV Bible app that you can follow along. That's the translation I use. Or you can get the Version Bible app. Those are two great ones. And I do not get a kickback from either one. Okay. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we come to your word, that we would not just learn something new, but we would be made new. That we would not just learn information, but we would be changed and transformed. We ask you to do that in Christ's name. Amen. So I guess the first question I would ask is, what does Noah have to do with baptism and Jesus? That would be the first question from this passage of Scripture. As you read through it, it's one of the most confusing and one of the most controversial passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. There, For every person who thinks it's one thing, there's about a thousand people who think it's something else. So my goal today is not to get into the minutia of every part of this. My goal of this is to show you the plain stuff and make it plain. Does that make sense? That's the goal, is to show you the plain stuff here and make it plain. But in doing so, we have to deal with some stuff that could be confusing. Verse 21 is confusing. Baptism, which corresponds to this, corresponds to Noah going into the ark, right, during the flood. Baptism corresponds to that. It says, now saves you. So I guess the big question we've got to ask is, does baptism save you? We had people go through the baptismal pools today. We had six people get baptized. Did that baptism save them? One of the questions I asked the children before they go through the baptismal pool, I said, have you ever taken a bath? And then I said, please say yes. All right? Or I say, have you ever gone swimming? All right? And I say, did your sins get washed away? The answer, no. 
Because what can the water do? The water can only clean the outside. Well, that's what our passage says, right? That the saving work here is not a removal of dirt. That's all that baptism can do is remove the outside dirt. But it's a reminder of what has already happened on the inside, and it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. So can baptism save you? No, it can only remove dirt from the body. That can't save you. It's only an external action. We are saved by grace through faith. The Bible makes that abundantly clear over and over and over again. But does baptism save you? Yes, in the sense that it is an appeal of faith to God. So the Bible also says this, faith without works is, anybody? Dead. Okay, so your faith is always going to work itself out. And so baptism itself is an act of faith. Okay, so the illustration used here is this. Noah, in a day of wickedness, in a time where he and his family were the ones called out by God, and he was supposed to be proclaiming to everyone that there was a flood coming, and the main way he was going to do that was he was going to what? Build an ark. Right. So he builds the ark as an act of faith. They don't even know what this flood thing is that God's talking about. Right. He builds the ark as an act of faith. And when the time comes, what does Noah do? He went in the ark. Now that took real faith. And when the flood waters start coming up, he's in the ark. An act of faith. His faith to obey was a demonstration, an appeal to God for new life, an appeal to God for salvation, an appeal, God, save me. And so when people walk through the waters today and they were baptized in the waters today, it was demonstrating what had already happened on the inside, but it was also an act of faith. And that faith is what God has ordained that saves us by his grace. Okay, so I want you to make sure you understand that there is a saving work that God is doing every day. He saves us, but he's also saving us. Okay, because I don't know about you, but I haven't seen Jesus face to face yet. Anybody seen Jesus? Please don't raise your hand right now. That would be really awkward in the middle of my sermon. That would be really awkward. Okay, we have not seen Jesus face to face, but we're longing for that day as believers in Christ. We're waiting for that day when we see Jesus face to face, and then we will be Known as we will know as we've been known, we will see him, we will get all of the treasure, all of the inheritance, all of the beauty of our salvation will be found in Jesus when we see him face to face. That's going to be the day when our salvation is fully known, our salvation is fully accepted, our salvation is fully experienced. So those acts of faith are God's saving work for us. And baptism is meant to be that public work of faith to demonstrate what God is doing in our hearts. So I want to make sure we made that clear, that there's a beautiful picture going on of Noah trusting God, and the faith that's displayed by building the ark and going into it is is supposed to mirror what we do by going through the baptismal waters. There's danger and destruction outside of Christ. But by His grace, He has provided the way. Not a way, not a good way, but the way, and his name is Jesus. And so for us to enter into the ark of God's grace, we do that by faith. Just as entering the baptismal waters is a beautiful picture of faith that shows the greatness of his grace and his love for us. So we say that we are dead to sin, raised to walk in newness of life. Because there's really good news 
There were several who were baptized today, but they weren't being baptized to be saved. They were baptized because of the saving work of Jesus that had already been done in his death and resurrection. And so when we're proclaiming his death and resurrection, we're proclaiming his greatness. And so today what I want you to see is I want you to see the depth of Jesus' love for you. And I want you to see the height of Jesus' power and authority. Because the higher his power and authority is, then the more powerful his love is, right? I want you to see the depth of his love for you. I want you to see the height of his power and authority. So you may have come in here today, and if I asked you, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus for salvation? This is what you may answer. Well, I try my best. I get that answer a lot. Try my best, right? You may say, I think I'm a good person. Nobody's perfect, but I think I'm doing better than most. Usually when we say that, we're thinking like better than Hitler. But, you know, so if we're being honest about our hearts. Some may say, well, I was baptized when I was a baby. Well, I was baptized when I was younger. But if the answer is not, I have called in the name of Jesus by faith because he died for me and rose again. Then we need to have a talk. We need to have a talk about the fact that only by trusting him for your salvation And not just trusting Him to forgive you of your sins, but trusting Him to cleanse you from your sins, to make you new. Are you saved? And if you've trusted Jesus, we need to have a talk today as well because we cannot forget what He has done and who He is that has established us as being the children of God. It is really easy to take that inheritance for granted and forget the depth of his love for us and then to live in a world that let's just admit it is just downright wicked but how can we live in this world without fear if we forget his authority and how great his authority is so the depth of his love frees us from all of our guilt and all of our condemnation and the height of his authority allows us to live as people without fear in this world. And I want you to see the beauty of that. The depth of Christ's love. What does it look like? Well, in verse 18, it makes it really clear. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He suffered. So he says, the depth of his love is he was willing to suffer. If you read through First and Second Peter as we're reading through First and Second Peter, you see that suffering is a normal part of everyday life. Suffering is real. It's not imaginary. It's real. When we're in this world, there's going to be suffering and we're going to deal with it. As Christians, we're going to deal with it even more because we know what's coming and this is just not it. Okay? And the more we let go of this longing for the kingdom that's coming and for heaven and being with Jesus, the more the world is going to come at us. The less we become like the world and the more we become like Jesus, the more we get treated like Jesus got treated. Okay? And suffering's gonna come. But we have a Jesus, we have a Savior who is no stranger to our suffering. And not just our suffering, but much, much, much worse. He took our sins on himself and they hung him to a cross. They beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. He had to carry his cross up a hill. They killed him he suffered and it says that not only did he suffer but he suffered for our sins so where's the hope in all of that that jesus suffered too here's the hope 
For those who are in Christ Jesus, who have placed their faith in Jesus, who have turned from their sins and placed their faith in Jesus for salvation, to be cleansed, to be made new for new life, here's the good news. You don't suffer for your sins. Jesus did that. That's the good news. Some of us are acting like we're suffering for our sins, but Jesus already took care of that suffering. Isn't that what it says? For Christ also suffered once for sins. He's not doing it over and over and over again, and he's not calling you to do it over and over and over again. He died. He suffered once for sins. So maybe you come in here today with this condemnation, this feeling of the wrath of God just kind of hanging like a dark cloud over your head. Maybe you feel like if people only knew what my life was really like, there's no way God could love me. There's no way I could be accepted. He suffered for your sins. When you place your trust in Him, He suffered for your sins. And through our strange union with Jesus by faith and because of His grace, even our suffering today is to make us better and to make us more like Jesus. It's not, not because of our sin. It's to get rid of our sin. It's so that we won't sin anymore. So we'll trust Him more. He suffered for our sins. When we place our faith in Jesus, this is about the best news we could ever have. And it's the news that the world needs to hear. But look at what else it says. It doesn't just say that the depth of his love is shown in him suffering once for sin. The depth of his love is also shown in the fact that he died in our place. This is what it says. The righteous for the unrighteous. The depth of his love was he didn't just say I'm going to make a sacrifice for their sins. He sacrificed himself for our sins. The righteous, the perfect, the holy For the unrighteous, the imperfect, the unholy. The way the Bible puts it is this. He made him who knew no sin. So God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. I call that the great switcheroo that happened at the cross, right? Where at the cross, those who have faith in Jesus, our sins are placed on him and his righteousness gets placed on us. That's what he did at the cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. He was righteous but suffered for us. He did it for us. That's the depth of His love for you. But the best news here is that not only did He sacrifice Himself, not only did He take our place, but He did it to bring us to God. So this is the issue. There is a deep, dark, sinful full of hatred towards God, chasm between us and God. So here's another way of putting it. The Bible says it this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so I have two daughters, a dad. If I saw my two daughters in the middle of the road about to get hit by a truck, what would I do? Whatever it took, right? If it cost me my life to save them, that's what happens, right? It's, it's what I lay down for my daughters. Any dads in the room? Are you with me? Whatever it takes, right? Do your kids love you? Yeah. All right, let's try that again. Do you think your kids love you? Do you hope your kids love you? Do your kids love you? Okay, so you love your kids. 
Your kids love you. Okay, let, let me remind you of something. While we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, while we hated him, while we spurned him, while we wanted nothing to do with him, while we thumbed our noses at him, while we ran from him, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the depth of his love. Far outweighs any love I have for my children. Are you getting it? This is the depth of his love. This is how much he loves each of us. And when we place our faith in him, that love is applied to us by his grace to not just make us forgiven, but to make us the children of God. He brings us in. It says in the passage in verse 18, he did all of this. He suffered the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. We're made part of the family. We're brought into the kingdom. We're joint heirs with Christ. We get the inheritance that's promised to Jesus. He didn't just leave us out in the cold saying, all right, I did enough for you at the cross. He then sends His Spirit to draw us in, to unite us to Himself. He makes us sons and daughters. He gives us a living hope in Him. That's the depth of my Jesus' love for you. Jesus, the perfect, righteous, totally sinless, perfectly obedient Lamb of God, died as our sacrifice, unjustly suffering, taking God's wrath against sin that we deserved, all because of His depth of love for us. But that's not the end of the story. Look down in the passage. So He suffered once for sins. But then in verse 21, this is good news. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So we have an appeal to God through Jesus because Jesus has been raised from the dead. So he brought us to God and now we can appeal to God on the basis of faith through Jesus Christ. All because Jesus rose from the dead. So let me make this really clear to you. The depth of his love is he suffered. He suffered in your place and he suffered to bring you to God. But the height of his power and authority is that he has been raised. He has defeated sin and death, which were our greatest enemies. Kings can defeat other kings. Armies can defeat other armies. Nobody beats sin and death but Jesus. And all of us are going to face both. But in Christ, we have a victor. And we've been given the victory. So what are the heights of his power? Look at what the passage says. It's right there. It tells us really plainly. He is at the right hand of God. So the risen Lord Jesus has gone into heaven, verse 22, and is at the right hand of God. What does that mean? What does it mean for him to be at the right hand of God? It's the place of authority. It's the place of power. It's the place of communion. It's the place of nearness to God, but it's also the place of intercession. It's the place where he is lobbying on our behalf. He's the, it's the place where when we pray and we don't know what to pray. You ever been there? Jesus prays for us when we're in Christ Jesus. 
If we've placed our faith in Jesus, we have Jesus who intercedes on our behalf. So when I'm sitting there and I don't know what to pray about my kids, and I don't know what to pray about you know, life, I don't know what to pray when my loved ones are sick, I don't know what to pray in the middle of pain, I don't know what to pray in the middle of fear, what do I pray? I go, Lord, I don't know what to pray, and my Jesus prays on my behalf. Because He raised from the dead. And He's defeated sin and death. And He's seated at the right hand of God. I don't know about you, but that's good news. The height of his authority is he's able to take my faulty words and turn them into music to the Father's ears. To make them a sweet-smelling aroma. You see, in the book of Revelation, we're given this picture of the prayers of the saints being lifted to God and they're a sweet-smelling aroma. You, didn't, you notice that some of them were really bad-smelling aromas to God. doesn't say that, does it? Because those who are truly believers... When you're submitting yourself to Jesus, He can take even the most trivial of prayers and make them into what needs to be said. He can change you in order to do that as well. That's the height of His authority and power. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us. He's also the one that when we get accused by the enemy, when we get accused by ourselves and our own hearts and our own minds, we get accused by others, we get accused by Satan. Hey, you're a sinner. Hey, look what's it. He looks at us and Jesus says, bought by my blood. And He's at the hand, right hand of the Father interceding for us. He has access. He has access. She has access to You, Father, because of my blood. That's His authority. I want you to see it goes beyond that as well. We've already talked about this, right? We're in a wicked world. Probably the most wicked people in the world right now. ISIS. Right? I mean, at least they're the most obviously wicked people. They're the ones we hear about. I'm sure there are people just waiting, right? Wicked people. Willing to kill you for their faith, as opposed to believers who are willing to die so that you have life. Right? That's the difference between what they're doing and what we would say our faith is based on. We're willing to die so that others would have life as opposed to killings wicked past generations Stalin Lenin not the Beatle the one in Soviet Union Hitler serial killers left and right it's a lot to be afraid of right it's wrong just draw your attention to what the passage says I love it who has gone into heaven, this is Jesus, the risen Jesus, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So what he's done is he's taken all of the unseen powers, all of the evil behind the evil, okay? And he has put them under his feet. He is standing on them. He is using them as a footrest as he sits next to the throne. He has them under his thumb. He has power and authority over them. So I ask you, if he has power and authority over the evil behind the evil, why are we so afraid of the evil we see? You understand what I'm saying? He's got authority and has subjected all the evil we can't see. Let's go a step further. He's the risen Lord Jesus. We have nothing to fear because when he rose, 
Those of us who have faith in Him, we, we are raised with Him. We get new life too. Let me, let me just make sure you understand this. I mean, this is huge stuff. We do not have to fear anything that happens on this planet because in the unseen realm of the glory of God in heaven, my Jesus has all of the evil behind the evil under His feet. Why do we live so afraid? I mean, I've seen your Facebook pages, right? There's a lot of fear out there. I mean, we vote out of fear. We save money out of fear. We hoard out of fear. There's so much fear in our lives. We don't go places because of fear. I got asked immediately. We're, we had this trip going to Barcelona. I got asked immediately, are you still going on the trip to Barcelona? I was like, because of what happened in Belgium? I was like, did you hear about the shooting in L.A.? Did that keep you from going to Houston? I mean, I, as bad and as evil as that is, I'm not going to Brussels. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't make sense, but that's the mentality we have about this world that we live in. We live in too much fear. And I want you to know today, my Jesus does not just say, do not fear. He says, remember, I've got everything behind your fear under my feet. If we could get that, life would be a lot easier for us, wouldn't it? To not have to fear and not live out of fear? Do you understand how much money, how much time, how much effort, how much energy we waste because of fear? When my Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father with everything that could cause fear under His feet. And He calls us more than conquerors. Are you living like you're more than a conqueror? If you're in Christ Jesus, if you're not in Christ Jesus, i got to tell you, there's a lot to fear. But it's not ISIS. It's the one who has ISIS under his feet. And by his grace, this is what he's telling you. I don't want you to fear me. I want you to be afraid of me when I return. Because I died and rose for you. Trust me. Trust me and I can take away the fear. The depth of His love. He suffered. He suffered in your place. He suffered to bring you to God. The height of His power. Jesus has subjected every power in heaven and on earth under His feet by His resurrection. And that's really good news. That's really good news for us. So, how do we close today? We close with hope. For the fearful, I want to remind you. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For the people who fear, there is nothing to fear if you turn from your sins and trust the risen Savior. If you came in here today feeling guilty, feeling condemned, He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. He has defeated sin and death. So you do not have to be condemned anymore. 
He intercedes for you if you place your faith in Him. The risen Jesus has paid the price for your sin and for your condemnation and your guilt, and He has defeated them. And if you're here today and your first thought as I'm saying all of this, your first thought is, I sure am glad that person's hearing this. It's a word for you. There's several words for you. One word would be self-righteous. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus died for self-righteous people too. Jesus died for the people who think the other people need Jesus. There are lots of those people. I was one of those people. So Jesus died for a lot of self-righteous people too. Here's what I want you to know. Verse 18, there was only one righteous. And he died for the unrighteous. His name is Jesus. Trust him, not yourself. Because he died for you and rose again. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today your word would take root in our lives. And as we sing and as we proclaim the greatness of Jesus, that we would go out and proclaim that greatness to others with joy. With joy and with hope and with faith. Without fear. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.